welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Good morning. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. This is one of those passages that you almost don't even want to preach on. You just want to leave it as it is because it's just so, so good. And yet here I am. (laughs) So good morning. It's so good to be with you. I am humbled to be up here, to be sharing God's word with you this morning. I'm humbled because this passage that we come to in Philippians is on the topic of humility. And I'm humbled because Eric specifically asked me to teach on this topic, which is humbling. Because I'm, I'm probably only like, maybe like the second or third most humble person I know. Um, so, I mean, there, there might actually be one or two other people that would be more qualified to preach on this than me. Maybe. Um, maybe one or two. No. Maybe, maybe I need this passage more, more than anyone and the funny and, and a little sad <laughs> truth is none of us are really qualified to preach a message on humility. But the good news is we don't have to be. Because the truth is, the truth of the matter, and I'm very confident of this truth, is that um, we have the very words of God right here. We are going to hear from him. And we have the example in the life of Christ, and we have the very life of Christ we have this indwelling power of the Spirit as we come here this morning to teach us about what true humility is. Amen? Amen. And we really need to hear this. We need the Word to speak to us this morning on humility because we live in a culture that is not too much different than the first century culture that this letter was written in. Philippians was written in a world that was politically Roman and culturally Greek, And uh, there's a historian named John Dixon. He wrote that it's well known that humility was not a virtue in Greco-Roman ethics. 
In fact, the word meant something like crushed or debased. It was associated with failure and shame. In its place was philotimia, which is the love of honor. Aristotle had insisted that honor and reputation are among the most pleasant things one could contemplate and attain for oneself. Humility, in a word, was shameful. And thanks to the influence of Christianity, I think that our culture today would say that humility is a virtue, that it's not shameful, right? We've changed a little bit in a few thousand years. However, in practice, it's, it's a whole lot harder. We would much prefer to be honored than humbled, right? Humility is a virtue that we would really like to see in other people, but maybe not necessarily work harder on practicing ourselves. The world in which we live would much prefer to see the humiliation of someone else, right, than really enduring that sacrifice that it takes to uh, grow in our own humility. In our entertainment-obsessed world, nothing is more satisfying than seeing somebody do something awful and then have that video go viral and then have that person just suffer the wrath of our very judgmental culture, right? It's so much easier to tell somebody else to be humble than it is to truly be humble yourself. However, humility is at the very heart of the Christian life. Um, I love what Augustine said. He said, it was pride that changed angels into devils, and it is humility that makes men as angels. And so take just a moment and think about the ways in which just a little bit more humility in your own heart could radically change your relationships with your friends, maybe with your coworkers, with your spouse, with your kids. Yeah, even with, with the saints that are in this room. How might just a little bit more humility in your heart radically change the way you approach our holy, loving God? And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. I think a little bit more humility could change everything. And this passage that we're getting to in Philippians shows us that for those of us that are in Christ, humility is a God-given gift that is just sitting in our laps, waiting to be open. We've been walking through Philippians. It's such an encouraging letter to read. And what's amazing is Paul writes this letter from prison, right? And he's actually writing the letter to encourage these Philippians in their faith, this church in their faith. And he's the one in prison. And then he's also pleading for their unity as a body, for, they, for them to come together. And after explaining his current situation, Paul quickly turns the topic to the unity of the Philippian church. We don't know exactly what was going on in that church, but it does seem like they needed some encouragement to be united. And so he charges them to stand firm in one spirit, to strive side by side with one mind in chapter 1, verse 27. That's what we looked at last week. And then here Paul continues in chapter 2, and he turns to this key ingredient for their unity, which is humility. And so that's what we'll be looking at. We're going to be looking at four ways we can seek unity through humility. And we're going to look at the motivation for humility, the mindset of humility, the means of humility, and the model 
for humility, right? So four M's, the uh, motivation, the mindset, the means, and the model. Um, so let's pray one more time, and then we'll dive in. Father, we need you right now to do more uh, than just fill our mind with facts. We need, uh, we need our hearts changed. We need you um, to work uh, your spirit in us. And so right now, we just pray that you would forgive us of any sin that may blind us to the truth that you have for us in your word. We pray that that truth would come alive in us and that we would be able to live like your son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. All right, so first, uh, the motivation for humility. So what does Paul point to in order to motivate us toward humility? And you may not have seen this. I actually, I did not see this until I started looking at it and looking at some commentaries. But really, Paul starts off in these verses by actually pointing to the Trinity as a motivation for our humility. So first, we, we want to let the triune God motivate us to humility. So if you look at verse 1, it says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Do you see the Trinity in verse 1? You might be like, no, not exactly. Encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit. Where's God the Father there? If we're saying that, that, that this is a trinity. And even though he's not explicitly stated, he's definitely implied, and there's several reasons for this, but probably the most important reason, the clearest reason, is that Paul uses this language over and over again in his other letters. And so we can look to 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, where Paul says almost exactly the same thing. He says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So that love that Paul is talking about in this verse is love coming from the Father. And so why then would the Trinity, just the existence of the Trinity, motivate us to be unified in our humility? And I think it goes back to, you know, we need a little bit of a theology lesson here. Um, we, we do believe in a triune God. We don't fully understand a triune God. But these characteristics that Paul is talking about here, encouragement, love, participation, which is that word koinonia, which means fellowship, and humility can only be attributes of an eternally existing triune God. Only if God is Trinity. If he wasn't Trinity, there would be no encouragement, no love, no fellowship, no humility, nobody to be humble to with anyone until humans arrive on the scene. And not only does this contradict all kinds of other things about scripture, but really do we think we're that important that somehow we show up and we give God all of these attributes that he didn't have prior? No, the, the truth is that our humility flows from God's humility. We didn't create God's humility. It doesn't work that way. It's not that God created man, man sins, and then God becomes humble by, by dying for man. No, in the Trinity, in God the Son, humility is an eternally existing attribute that has always been enjoyed in love. Amen? We see that in Jesus' high priestly prayer, that uh, the Trinity wants to draw us into the encouragement, the love, the fellowship, the humility that has always existed. 
in their relationship. So in John 17, 5, Jesus prays, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And then he goes on um, to pray, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. C.S. Lewis said, in Christianity, God is not an impersonal thing or static thing, not even just one person, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, a kind of drama almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. The pattern of this three-personal life is the great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up from the very center of reality. So here, Paul, initially in this, in this verse one, he invites us into this Trinitarian dance. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. And he continues with another motivation here. Um, if you look at verse two, Paul appeals to his own joy, to Paul's joy. He says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So not only does the Trinity motivate our humility, but also let faithful leaders motivate us in humility. And I love this. This is uh, just one of only two commands in this whole passage. It looks like there's a lot more commands, but in the original, there's only two commands. One of them is to complete my joy, complete Paul's joy. So he's telling this Philippian church and us by extension to complete his joy. And so this tells us, this actually shows us a couple of things. This is really important to Paul. He's saying more than just be humble because it makes me happy. (laughs) It shows us that any good church leader finds great joy in the unity of the church. I mean, he's saying complete my joy. But it also shows us the reverse of that, that disunity in the body can really weigh on the heart of a leader. One pastor put it this way, he says, do we who are pastors find our joy so passionately invested in those whom we serve that we can honestly say that our joy finds completion as we see them maturing in unity with each other by the grace of the gospel? It's a great question if you are a leader or a pastor. And do all of us who have pastors and elders who care for the spiritual well-being hear in Paul's words our own shepherd's heart cries? Has it occurred to us that pastors lose, lose sleep over the friction between Christians? If we love our shepherds, we must complete their joy by loving each other, relinquishing our rights, caring compassionately for brothers and sisters with whom we have differences, and humbly honoring each other. So when we're tempted to go to battle with somebody in the church, think about how much joy it might bring to a mentor, a discipleship leader, a youth leader, a small group leader, a pastor, to see us humbly come to unity with that same heart and mind. And so Paul gives us this this motivation for humility, and he goes on to tell us to have our minds set on humility. So that's the second part. Um, Have a mindset on humility. So look at verse two again. 
And notice the emphasis on mind with Paul. And we could even look back probably in the, the previous column in your Bible. You could even see it in verse 27. He says, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And he goes on in, to, to talk about the mind in verse 2. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love and being in full, of court, in, in full accord and of one mind. And then again, if you skip down to verse 5, this is the second command. It's have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And so this idea of the mind is really, really important. And when we go back, when we go back to that, the original language, it's really important because that, that word there, to have your mind set on something, it actually combines what is called the visceral and cognitive. So the visceral is like your gut emotions, everything that's coming from your, what we might even call today your, your heart, and also the cognitive, the intellectual brain, the thinking, the a- aspects of thinking. So that word, having your mind set it, it's, it's having your mo- emotions and uh, your brain headed in the same direction. And this is different than the way we think of things modernly. We kind of like to separate out our heart and our mind. And so, especially when it comes to being humble, especially when it comes to humility, we might think, oh gosh, in my heart, I really don't feel like doing this, but I know I should up here, you know. But that's really not what this, this is all about. Together, we are to have our emotional and intellectual mind set on Christ-like humility. And you know what the good news is? If Scripture commands this, we can do it in the power of the Spirit, of course. But this is something that we can do. This is something where we can have our hearts and our minds set on humility. But how? That's the question, right? How? How would this work? And so take a look at verse 3 and 4. We're given really two things very clearly to avoid, two things to avoid, and two things to attain to. So two things to avoid, two things to attain. Look at verse 3. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but to the interests of others. So that do nothing from selfish ambition, it's a really cool word that comes from, it's derived from a word uh, that, was, that meant mercenary. So a work for hire, a mercenary, you know, somebody that goes to war for another country. Why, why do they go to war? Just to get paid. It's their job to. They're literally in it for themselves. So Paul says, do nothing um, from this mercenary mindset. And I think that there are oftentimes where we can be, we can get into the mindset of being a, a, a mercenary churchgoer, right? So we, we can become church mercenaries, or I can become a church mercenary. When I look at what the church can give me or my family rather than what I can give to the church. So I ask questions like this. When I'm a mercenary, I ask, does the church give me the attention that I need? Are people friendly enough and welcoming enough to me? Are people looking out for my needs? Does the worship fit my personal taste? It does, by the way. It does here, (laughs) by the way. I just want to, where are the guys? It does. It's good. I love it. But we can ask that. Do the sermons stimulate my intellectual needs? Can the youth ministry make my children happy? Can it make them happy little Christians? 
Are there enough specialized ministries to fit whatever hobby I might end up taking up? Or whatever particular sin I might find myself in? And Paul says to forget all that. He says to turn your mind inside out. Go from self-minded thinking to others-minded thinking. He says humbly count others as more significant. And so, um, in a sense, we want to go from being church mercenaries to church missionaries. So we want to really flip the way we think about things and flip all of these questions around so that when we're church missionaries, we go into church and I, I ask, am I giving myself to the people in this church? Am I being welcoming enough to show Christ's love on a Sunday morning? Am I looking out for ways to love others? Do I give thanks for those who serve? Am I allowing the word to penetrate my heart? Am I encouraging my kids to use their gifts? Are there ways that I can grow and be challenged in using my gifts? How can I see others in this room as more significant than myself? So we turn our minds inside out from being focused on self to being focused on others. That's what Paul means when he goes on, he says, let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And this is our encouragement to find out a little bit about other people. It's an invitation to ask good questions. We could ask questions, not just, oh, hey, what do you do for work? But how do you feel about your job? <laughs> do you love it, right? Do you hate it? That's a good question. What do you love doing as a family? Um, what do you do in your free time? How did you come to know the Lord? What's he doing in your life now? What, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think about God? What does your mind drift to when you're not thinking about anything? What have you been praying for? You know, these are the questions, what can I pray for you uh, about? These are the questions that help us look to the interests of others. And what's so encouraging about this place is this sort of looking to the interests of others happens all the time in this church. So if, if you're maybe a little bit new to us and your plan is to kind of slip in maybe a little bit after the music starts and slip out right at the end, good luck. You might, you might be able to make it happen one week, but it's not going to happen. Uh, it, it's not going to happen too often. You're, you're going to run into someone who is looking out for your interests, looking out to the interests of others. And just like this Philippian church, I think we can be reminded, we can be encouraged to do this all the more. So Paul gives us a, a motivation for humility, a mindset on humility, and now a model for humility. And take a look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and most of the, uh, of the experts think that right now in these verses, Paul is launching into an early poem or even maybe a worship song that was about Christ's divinity. So a real early worship song. That's why it has this poetic quality. That's why it's so beautiful when it's read uh, also. It has this poetic uh, quality, but Paul is basically saying that Jesus, in his own humiliation, 
he never pulled the God card, right? He never thought that his position as being equal with the Father gave him the right to avoid suffering. So as God, Jesus has everything, and yet he chose to become nothing on our behalf. And so with Jesus as our model, we can do the same. We can use whatever benefits we have to bless, not just be here for the perks, right? And I don't know about you, but I, I really like being a Christian, and you're like, well, good. I'm glad. That. But, you know, often we're, we focus on how hard it is and how there are trials. And there is. But I find so much deep joy in following Christ. I find the Christian gospel to be overwhelmingly compelling, both emotionally and intellectually. Yeah, and I have questions. I have doubt. But I can really say with the confession My one comfort in life and death is that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. God has blessed me in so many ways, but he has not blessed me, and I know this, and I have to keep telling myself this, but I know that he has not blessed me so that I can avoid suffering. He's blessed me so that I can absorb the suffering of others. If he emptied himself for me, I can empty myself for other people. I can empty myself out for you. So with Jesus as our model, we use our blessings to bless. We're also willing to suffer humiliation for the sake of others. Take a look at verse 8. It says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so Paul here, or the writer of this hymn or song or poem that Paul is quoting, makes a point to tell us that Christ's obedient humiliation was complete. And then he even goes on by adding this even death on a cross exclamation point to the end of this. And so the cross, you have to understand this, because the cross of the first century is so foreign to the cross of the 21st century, right? We, well, this is in our building. (laughs) You wouldn't find this in a public school. But in most churches, you would find crosses hanging, huge crosses hanging as decorations. These were not decorations when this was written. Uh, And some people today compare it to an electric chair, but that's not even a good comparison because I've only seen electric chairs in pictures or or videos. I've never been there like these people would have been, like these first century believers would have been. They would have walked past criminals crucified in the streets. They would have seen that brutality. They would have felt the shame of that sight they would have smelt the stench of death as they walked past. So how could this happen to their Savior? Right? How could he be humiliated in this way? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself for me. I can humble myself for others. And so with Jesus as your model, we 
know that uh, we can use our, our blessings to bless. We can be willing to suffer humiliation for the sake of others. But also, we know, like Jesus knew, we have an inheritance awaiting us in the end. And that's what Paul goes on to say in verse 9. He says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so with Jesus as our model, we follow this pattern of humiliation, then exaltation. And this is all over the Bible, and this should be good news to us, and this should help us to be more humble, right? James tells us in James 1.12, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. And he, he writes this letter to Timothy, and in 2 Timothy 4, 8, he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only me also, but to all who have loved his appearing. 1 Peter 5 says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you shall receive the unfading crown of glory. And I love the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 25, where he says, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enjoy, enter into the joy of your master. So this idea of that we can endure some humiliation because our exaltation will come is all over. So now may be our time for humiliation, but there will be a time where we receive the reward for our humility. And so at this point in the message, you can probably be thinking, you might be thinking, well, this sounds good. This is, this is a great be more like Jesus message, but <laughs> I don't know if I can do it. Good. You should be feeling that way at this point. But I want to bring us for this last point to the means of our humility. So we just don't have a model for humility. We have, we have a way. We have a means for humility, and that is our union with Christ. So as we wrap up, look at verse 5 again. Go back to verse 5, because we went kind of quickly through this, and you may have missed it, and it is so important. The wording of this is so, so rich and important. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So wait a minute. Paul is telling me to have something that's already mine. How does that work? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And so what he's not saying is don't just try, don't, don't try to make your mind like Christ. He says you have this mind, it's yours in Christ already. And so if you are a Christian, you are in Christ. That's the most common description of Christians in the New Testament as those who are 
in Christ. One of the blessings of being in Christ is having the mind of Christ. Amen? And this is the key to growing as a Christian. We need to take hold of what we already have. So there was this rich American businesswoman. Her name was Hetty Green. At the beginning of the 20th century, she was called the richest woman in America. She was worth about $2 billion. And it's amazing because at that time, nearly everyone that she worked with on Wall Street uh, were men. But she's not known for that. What she is most well known for is how big of a cheapskate she was. So she actually holds the Guinness Book World Record as being the world's biggest cheapskate. So despite her wealth, she refused to pay for hot water. She only bought one dress, wore it until it was worn out um, before she would buy another one. She rented a cheap apartment rather than buying one. She would haggle over the prices of food on the menu. Could you imagine going to a restaurant and then trying, and it said a cheap restaurant. This is not a nice restaurant that she's going to. But usually, though, instead of going to restaurants at all, she would just carry around a bucket of dry oatmeal, mix it with a little bit of water, and heat it up on the nearest radiator. When she needed to see a doctor, she'd put on one of her old worn-out dresses, and she would go out to the free clinic, sign in under a fake name so she wouldn't have to end up paying for, for the doctor's visit. Here's a woman who had endless riches, and yet she chose to live in poverty. And yeah, we laugh, we think this is crazy, but how different are we? As Christians, we have the endless riches of being united with Christ. We have the mind of Christ, and yet sometimes we prefer to live on our own dry oatmeal. We're not willing to pour out on others that which has been so graciously given to us. In Christ, you have been united with the one who did nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And he gives you the mind to do the same. In Christ, you have been united to the one who always counts others more significant. He always looks to the interests of others. In Christ, you've been given the mind of the one who emptied himself, the one who became a servant, the one who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because he humbled himself for us, we can be humble. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you have not only um, sent your son uh, to live and to suffer on our behalf, that would have been enough, but you um, have also united us with him. You have saved us through his work, and you have given us his mind to do the same, to love one another, to humble ourselves. We pray that you would do that work for your glory, for his sake. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. 
If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.